This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Equity Minds. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited. We are still in Owen's studio. He hasn't kicked us out yet, and we are here for the third part of our Value Investor Series. That's it. If you are just joining us uh, over the last two episodes, we've discussed what is value investing and uh, the different ways that you can value stocks. Second episode was the valuation of zero, taking the uh, the framework that you can learn in the Value Investor Program. And then today, we are actually going to unpack Apple mm. and uh, talk about the valuation. And to do it, we are joined by Owen again. Owen, welcome. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here. If you've been on the fence about deciding to join the course, uh, by the end of this episode, guaranteed that you will want to join. But remember, there is $100 off for a limited amount of time. You can use the code MATES, M-A-T-E-S. Those details are all in the show notes. And then you'll be able to do the course and follow along and start building out some of the models that uh, Owen and uh, and Ren have been referring to throughout this series. So M-A-T-E-S, $100 off for a limited time. Information in the show notes. All right, well... We all know what Apple is. Yeah, I was going to say, we spent about 10 minutes talking about Zero's business model. Let's say we know what Apple is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the business model has changed over time. So when you're building an investment thesis, what are the the assumptions that are going into you creating an investment thesis for Apple? Yeah, uh, you make a great point quickly about um, it being a massive business. That means that it's the valuations are often tighter, meaning that so many analysts are covering it. So the chance of getting a seriously undervalued investment is very slim uh, because there's so much information out there. So when it comes to assumptions, you basically have to have a variant perception. You have to have 
a reason why you think everyone's wrong. Mm. And it has to be pretty strong when it comes mm. to a blue chip like Apple. I remember a few years ago, so my we've talked about him a little bit on the show, but my inspiration for value investing comes from Joe Mega, who's now back in the United States. And I remember I said on Twitter that Apple's like one of my best large cap company ideas. And um, he then had another tweet, maybe like a week or something later saying that, I just don't see it. And I was like, whoa, this is like, this scared me because here's the guy that I'm like, this is my God, um, saying, it's, I don't get it. And I'm like, well, <laughs> okay. Um, so the basic idea is that the business model has shifted dramatically over time. Uh, so once you go Mac, you never go back is the saying. You know, well, you, you, you get this Mac, then you get the watch, then you get the Apple uh, iPhone, and you just continue down that path. Now, what we know and what we see in front of us is hardware. And the actual hardware of Apple, the diehards are going to hate me for this, it's not that different to Microsoft products or like, a Toshiba or like a, you know, a Dell PC. It's really not that different. Like they run on a CPU, they have a GPU, blah, blah, blah. But the difference is the software. So the software is that iOS software we know and love. It's secure, it's safe, it's like private, it's encrypted, it's all that stuff. And it's the same across every device. And that is what keeps people in the ecosystem. So Apple has taken that over the past, say, five to eight years. It's taken that and it said, well, how can we flex this? How can we take that thing and put it everywhere in people's lives? So that then became a watch. Uh, it got the AirPods. Uh, it got everything in the ecosystem. And you know what? You can even get an Apple Music subscription to go with your AirPods for $3.99 a month. Well, that was when they promoted it. You don't even need to look at your iPhone anymore. You just, when you put the AirPods in, it prompts you, right? And that's an example of how they can have this integrated circuit of uh, apps and tools, and they can start pushing more software into your life. If you've got photos on your phone, you get that stupid notification. It's like, your iCloud is full. You need to upgrade. And then you click the button and it's literally like one button, you're done. And then it's, instead of two bucks a month, it's 10 bucks a month. And that's what we call services revenue inside Apple. And so this is this software-only revenue that they're, they're harvesting just by you using their products. And that is the big shift. And that was my variant perception early on when that business was nascent, like really, really small. In 2015, it was only 8% of revenue. Um, that's up to 20% today. But taken in context, the business is also a lot bigger today than it was in 2015. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of revenue coming through. And the profit margins are delicious. Mm. So before we get to what it is today and where it's going to be in the future or where you think it's going to be in the future... Did you ask Joe why he didn't say it? Well, according to the Twitter uh, and what I remember of it, it's basically that he didn't see that transition being very smooth. So uh, like from hardware dependent, people at the time, I remember Steve Johnson, another great Australian investor um, from Forager Funds, he, he had this view that's like, how can people pay $2,400 for an iPhone? Surely this is tapped out. And he was probably right, to be honest. It kind of is tapped out. Like until they have like, I've got my um, my 12 Pro here. Uh, until they went to 5G with the phone, I was not interested in upgrading. I was just going to like let my old thing die. But then I was like faster internet. Like I can hotspot when I'm on the road. I was like, yes, got it. And so that's what we call a super cycle. And that happens probably every four years with Apple where there's some sort of groundbreaking thing that you need on the phone and you get through it. And so here's, so back to Joe's concern from what I could tell was it's just not going to transition that well. Um, but if you take that super long-term horizon you believed in that ecosystem, 
it's worked. And I think, again, that's just a reminder that we keep hitting in this three-part series that the challenge and valuation isn't in the maths, it's in accurately forecasting the future prospects of the business. So, Joe and Owen would probably have a similar discount rate and would similarly, you know, calculate uh, their spreadsheets would look very similar, but it's the assumptions that lead to the numbers being put in there that separates them. So, Let's get to the assumptions. Yeah, so basically, um, my assumptions out, uh, and this was out to past 2030, was that the services revenue would be over 40% of the business. Now, that's a huge thing. If you think, like I just said, 2015 was 8%. So you might think, okay, does that's a big number, but let's just kind of think about that. Well, the profit margins on that revenue are north of 65% versus on the, the iPhones and stuff you get, it's like 30 to 40%. So you're doubling the the profit that you get from this new service line, which is also growing five-fold in, say, 10 to 15 years. And so that's where you start to get more and more and more profits, even if the business doesn't grow that fast. You know, most recent growth was around about 5 to 7% revenue growth. The services revenue did actually fall a bit, which is a bit concerning. But the the key there was like, it's not growing as fast, but under the surface, like if you go and you pop the hood, you see that the business that is valuable, i.e. this services business, is actually still growing and it's more profitable. And that's the key thing. Um, and that's the key thing that I watch going forward. And so Apple made this, just in terms of assumptions, Apple made this choice maybe two years ago now where they said, we're not going to publish the number of iPhones that we sell, like the units anymore. And this was at a time when they'd just come out through a super cycle of these new iPhones and it was obvious that the market was saturated with Apple iPhones. And they knew that they couldn't up last year's results. So they were like, we're going to drop this metric. And all the analysts were like, I remember this this distinct quarterly call. It was actually like an hour of, uh, so how are we going to do this? And the stock dropped because analysts are like, I don't know. Like, this is my assumption in my model. Like, What am I going to do? And it, to be honest, it, it is scary because basically what it meant was that the key business that was inside Apple at the time, no one could be like, exactly that's how many units were sold. And so what they've done is sporadically, they've given us this other number, which is a bit blurry, which is uh, installed base. Installed base is basically everything. So you could just have the Apple Watch or just the iPhone or just the Mac, which is not nearly as valuable as the how many Macs, Mm. how many iPhones, how Mm. many watches. And so that's where it gets a bit blurry. And that that figure is currently 1.8 billion. Wow. Yeah, but it's like installed base. I probably have two old iPhones yeah, sitting yeah, yeah. in a drawer that don't work, but like, what? I, I don't want to sell them. I can't sell them. I don't want to throw them out. And exactly. I haven't taken them to an electronics recycler. Do they count? Yeah, well, they, they probably do. If, sw- if they get switched on once that year, maybe they count. I don't know. And so that's that. from a modeling perspective, what this means is that you have to basically drop that and then you have to just take whatever was like last quarter or last year's results and just imply a growth rate, uh, which is very blunt when it comes to modeling. You basically have to go, well, it was $100 billion revenue last year. I think it's going to grow at 10% because they'll increase prices 5% and they'll sell 5% more this year or something like that. Mm. And that's where it gets a bit hard to model and it becomes a bit blunt. All right, Owen, let's pause there and take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. 
Also, smallwigs who are on the path to becoming bigwigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So with a company like Apple, where you said at the start, it is so well covered that there are, you know, you could just jump online and get models from some of the best investment banks around the world, best fund managers, and, and get a, a valuation probably across the board. Yep. So what, what are you doing in your model that you think they'll have wrong, or are you just yeah. are you just tinkering with yours from five years ago? Yeah, so I just tinker with mine every, you know, I probably only jump into it maybe every six to 12 months, like when there's something that would materially change the thesis. So some people model quarter to quarter, so because the US companies report quarterly. I don't do that because I feel like the more time you spend in your model, the more likely you are to make a change with your investment. So I try and limit my exposure, basically, like when you have your phone before bed, you limit your exposure. For me, it's about when there's a, something that headlines, like in a quarterly call or you know in a media release or even there's something in the industry, that's when it triggers me to be like, go back in. What, what was your assumption for that thing? Has it changed? And so, you know, one of those things recently is slowing services growth. Now, you would expect that we don't need a new iPhone every year. Some people do that. But most of us, I think the average life is between two and four years before people upgrade again. Uh, and there's a lot of switches. Most of the new acquisitions for Apple are switches, people that come across from the other ecosystems like Android. But, you know, for the services revenue, if that slows... That's concerning because that means that the current usage of the current fleet of iPhones and you know, Apple products may be not as intended, like maybe not as expected. So I would expect that services revenue continues to grow double digits, probably between 10 and 20% over the next five years in order to justify a valuation that might be above what analysts are expecting. Mm. Now, the challenge with services revenue uh, is that it actually is so many different business units within Apple that's just rolled up into this one number. It's Apple Music, it's iCloud, it's... Um Help me out here, guys. TV. What other subscriptions are there? Apple TV, yeah. Arcade. Who uses Arcade? Yeah. Apple News, yeah. yeah. Uh, Podcasts, potentially. Oh, they have paid podcast yeah. subscriptions now, yeah. So uh, it's all these different business units working on different things and... For Apple, when they report, they just give you a services number. It's not like we have X number of Apple Music subscribers and X number of Apple Arcade subscribers. So then when it comes to modeling it, how do you actually do that work? Because modeling a subscription business isn't that hard. We spoke about it with Zero. Yeah. It's Apple Arcade costs $4 a month, and there's a million users, $4 million revenue a month, and then you do that for all of them. But if Apple aren't giving you a starting point, how do you even start saying, here are the service business lines, here's how much revenue they'll be making, here's how that rolls up? Yeah, so there was a, a few, like 
you remember how I said they dropped the iPhone units? Well, we know the revenue and we can see the prices on the shelf in the store. So we could estimate roughly how many units are being sold. So we can back the number out over time. With the services revenue, it's much harder because these are basically launching behind closed doors. Like Apple News, for example, launched when services revenue was already bundled together. There was never, an, like you couldn't ever see it separately like you could with the iPhone units. So basically what you rely on is you rely on a lot of like industry reports and uh, surveys and these types of things that come through either investment banks or they come through like Bloomberg. Uh, Bloomberg had this story uh, probably about a year ago now where uh, one of the things was like how much you know, Google is paying to Apple to be installed in the... Yeah, uh, to be the default mm, exactly. search engine on the iPhone. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the Internet Explorer back in the heyday for Microsoft. And that estimate estimates are that that could be as high as 50%. Now, I don't think it's that high at the moment, but that's a huge number if it's true. Wait, what do you mean 50%? Like of services revenue. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so that I don't think it's that high, but that could be something that we're looking at. Now, if there's a legal stash or there's some sort of like regulation that comes in and says you need to give users more choice well then maybe what happens and that's probably more of a scary thing for you know everyone else i think for most people like you want you want to have some understanding of that they do disclose the number of subscribers so they do describe disclose that i think it's about 800 million subscribers mm. at the moment so that's a huge number and to be clear if bryce subscribes to arcade music Apple TV, he's counted three times. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. They have the like the the bundle, Apple One, mm. uh, where you can you can bundle everything together. But again, in that instance, like, are they making more or less money? The family members could have something else. Mm. I think, like for me, I think I paid dollar ninety nine for iCloud, but I also have Apple Music. So, you know, I'd probably consolidate so that the actual number of subscribers probably doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, because otherwise, that's ten percent of the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it'd be crazy. Yeah, it'd be crazy. And, and like, to be honest, yeah, it's 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 probably like those things where you get through like a, a trial. Um, you get like the Apple Music. You get this. You get that. Um, so who knows what's counted there? But you can use that. You know, if you get that sporadically throughout the year, you get a number here or there. You can you can take that and you can be like, well, services revenue is X divided by subscribers equals Y, and you can use that. I don't use that particularly. I keep my model with Apple very simple, because. My thesis is very simple, that services revenue continues to grow, just like a subscription business from Adobe or something like that, where you just see price increases and you see a number of users growing. All right, Owen. So uh, at the time of recording, late 2022, Apple have just reported and numbers were a little bit soft. So uh, we're not going to talk specifics in terms of the number here, but generally, where where do you see the valuation of Apple going? Yeah. So the I guess... At a current price, which is around about 140 bucks, um, you could say it's probably fairly valued. Now, I would say that if you look at it, remember we talked about multiples in the last show, where we talked about, and in the first episode, where um, you could use multiples to try and estimate the value of something, or at least get a sense. Apple's like price earnings ratio is actually lower than both Microsoft and Netflix. Mm. Right now, if you think about in context of that, if you just had that as your opportunity set, would you say Apple is higher quality than Microsoft or likely to grow faster than Netflix? Probably grow faster than Netflix, but maybe not Microsoft because of its suite. So we can get a general sense of that and how much we'll be, be willing to pay. I would say about 20 to 25 times for a business like Apple is good um, because you can actually remove the cash that it's in the business because that's not part of the business and you get to a reasonable figure you know in the high teens i think that's a reasonable price to pay for a business of this quality 
Consider that the ASX, the average ASX company trades around about 15 times price earnings ratio. So you're not paying that much more for the world's biggest and maybe one of the best brands in the world mm. that can compound slowly over time. All right, Owen. Well, I think if people want to see more of your valuation work, the place to go is the Value Investor Program. They can uh, see it on the Rask website. They can see it on the Equity Mates website. They can see it in the show notes. Honestly, you can't escape it. It's everywhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is also a free course, the Get Started Investing course, if people want to uh, do that as well. Wherever you are in your investing journey, it's worth refreshing your knowledge. But Owen, Something you said pricked my ears up earlier in this episode. You said I modeled it and then I returned to it every six to 12 months. It just made me think, how many of these models have you got? How many companies are you? do you have models for that you're refreshing you know, once a year, twice a year? And can I access your hard drive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we use like we use Google Drive and Notion to do all these. So a lot of them um, are there, and you can just update them very quickly. Um, in the course itself, there's 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 five uh, solid reports as, as models. Sorry, so you can access them, and they'll be updated regularly, like every six months. Um, but in terms of my own, I probably have floating around in the ether probably fifty to hundred models just somewhere. Uh-huh. But how many do I actually keep tabs on very closely and very intimately? It'd be no more than 20. It's probably 10 to 20 um, because most companies don't make it to modeling. Most companies are just simply not in my wheelhouse. I'm not comfortable owning them for whatever qualitative reason. It's not worth me putting in you know, three or four hours or five hours building a new model from scratch for one of those companies. So um, yeah, to your point, Ren, like, time is invaluable. Don't waste your time with companies getting to modeling if you're not ever going to invest in them. Love it. Well, if you want access to those four or five models in the course, equitymates.com slash online dash courses, it'll be in the show notes, as well as our discount code MATES, which gets you $100 off the price of the course. Great. But Owen, thank you so much for that. Uh, for the last three episodes, learn a lot, and as, as I'm sure uh, members of both of our communities have as well. Always a pleasure chatting. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Owen. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.